Well, good morning. As uh, Peter said, my name's Dan, and um, I'm part of the leadership team here. It's great to welcome you here this morning, especially if you're visiting us, um, uh, your first time here. Really good to have you with us. Uh, begin by a very interesting question. Why should I bother eating my crusts? Why should I bother eating my crusts? I was brought up being encouraged to eat the crust of my bread because it would make my hair grow curly, I was told. Now, I mean, no offense to people with beautiful curly hair, but it didn't really bother me. I don't care whether or not I get curly hair, and I'm not sure what age I was when I realized this. But uh, my motivation for eating crusts was soon eroded, gone. As soon as I realized I didn't care whether or not I had curly hair, I had no motivation to eat crusts. Um, Anyway, why am I telling you this fascinating story? Well, the thing is, we're told to do many things in life, aren't we? We're told to do many things, and they vary in importance. Some of those things turn out to be important. Some of them turn out not to matter so much. This morning we're beginning a series on our vision and values as a church. What's the point of Portswood Church? Why do we exist? What do we want to achieve and and where do we want to get to? These are vision questions. And then what characterizes us? What shapes everything that we do? What What do we hold as fundamentally important? These are value questions. Over the next three weeks we're going to visit our vision And then over the the following five weeks after that, we'll visit each of our five core values. And if you're just visiting us today, then hopefully this will help you to understand who we are and what we're all about. And if you've been around for some time, well then, then you've got a test. I wonder if you can remember our vision and values. I wonder if you could uh, say what they were if we put you on the spot. Well, here's a little quiz, first of all. Whose is this? Whose whose vision is this? To create a better everyday life for the many people. To create a better everyday life for the many people. Anyone know who that is? (laughs) I know. It's not Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you. Good try. Um, uh, IKEA. Jeremy Corbyn is the new uh, labor leader, if you don't know who he is. Um, IKEA, that's their vision, to create a better everyday life for the many people. Isn't that nice of them? How about this one? Making everyday experiences special. You'll kick yourselves if you don't know this one, most of, most of you probably. This is uh, part of the vision for Costa, owned by Whitbread. Making everyday experiences special. Maybe, you, maybe you've experienced that. Or uh, our mission to change the world for the better. Now some of you should definitely know this one. And our vision to be a distinctive global leader in education research and enterprise. Who's that? The university. Yeah, that's easy, isn't it? (laughs) University of Southampton. And this gives me uh, an opportunity to welcome uh, new students today as well. Uh, Freshers Week begins this week, so we've got students coming back and perhaps some freshers with us. It's great. Uh, We love great to have you with us. Okay, how about this one? Uh, Just a couple more. Our vision is to work with our partners at the leading edge of healthcare, there's a clue, for the benefits of our patients. It's not quite the NHS, it's the University, of Hospital, University Hospital Southampton, which is part of the NHS. But uh, yeah, so many uh, people here serving in that, uh, in that hospital to help people and to yeah, care for them at the leading edge. Um, and uh, here's uh, two more and then, uh, then we'll move on. To be a centre of excellence in post-16 education, adding value to our students' academic achievements and wider experiences. 
Reese, come on. You just started working for Barton Peveril. You, you should know that. And finally, we've all, we all know this one. This is, we experience this if you live in Southampton. Southampton, city of opportunity where everyone thrives. That's, that's a city vision for Southampton City Council. There you go. I'm sure we all uh, can testify to them achieving that. Okay, final one. Growing upwards toward God, inwards with each other, and outwards... Sorry? Portsmouth Church. Yes, good. We got there. Okay. Right, and, uh, and if you look on our website, uh, you can kind of see a, a more detailed explanation of that. I'll read this out to you. This is how we describe our vision. Our vision is to be a church that grows up towards God in worship and obedience, a church that grows with one another in deeper community as we share in all that Jesus has done for us, and a church that grows out into the world, sent by the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus and the reality of the kingdom of God in the Portsmouth locality, across the city where we live and work, and out across the world. There's our vision. Our five core values are the centrality of Christ, dependence on God in prayer, mission worldwide and where we are, caring for one another, learning together through Bible-based teaching. That's what we're about. And uh, over the next eight weeks, quick sum there in my head, uh, we can kind of think a bit more about all of these things. As we explain on our website, we long that these values will be seen working in every part of our life together as a church but more on that later. Today we begin by focusing on the first part of our vision, and that's growing upwards towards God. Growing upwards towards God. And I'd I'd like to suggest that this isn't in the category of eat your crusts or your hair won't grow curly. This is a little more important than that. This is in the important category. In this series, we're considering what defines us as a church, and in some senses along the way, what defines us as Christians. The two things are unsurprisingly linked. If we miss this vision, we risk bumbling around aimlessly, wasting our time doing things that don't really matter. If, on the other hand, we unite behind this vision and together really grasp what it is that God is calling us to, what what God's calling us to be, and what God is calling us to do, then who knows what he might do through us and in us as he works out his purposes to his glory. So, are we ready? Our vision is shaped by what the Bible says as a whole. For this series, or at least the first two parts, we're going to focus on one letter in the New Testament part of the Bible, the letter which we call Ephesians. This letter is addressed to a church or perhaps a group of churches in a region, and so either way, it would be a helpful guide for us as a church too. Ephesians begins in chapter 1, as most books do, uh, with a great song of praise to God our Father. Praise because he chose us to be something, and praise because he made things known to us. So right from the beginning of this letter, we can see a vision of what we can grow into and what we can grow in knowing. And this is reflected in uh, verses later on in chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul, the, the human author of this letter, says because of this, because of what God has done and made known, he says in chapter 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Here then is a repeated prayer, I keep asking, a repeated prayer rooted in Scripture 
that God would give his people the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know him better. We need to grow upwards toward God. We need to know him better. We need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. We need a deeper understanding of God. And for this, we need the help of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So I'd like us to pray before we continue. Let's pray. Glorious Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who is pleased to make yourself known. We praise you and we thank you that not only have you made yourself known to us, you draw us into knowing you in an intimate way. For in your great love, you have adopted us as sons, brothers and sisters, sharing the sonship of Jesus. Please would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. Please would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts in order that we may know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in us and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Glorious Father, please answer this prayer as we continue this morning and please continue answering this prayer as we keep asking in the days, weeks, months and years to come. Amen. Some people here this morning don't yet know God at all, and uh, that's fine. You don't keep asking for a deeper knowledge of God. You don't know God at all. You don't keep asking for a deeper knowledge of God. Perhaps you're not even sure that he exists. Well, if that's you, then I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, and do come and speak to me afterwards if you'd like to, meet, to explain anything more clearly to you, or if you've come with a friend, ask them to uh, help you understand a bit more. We're going to see three views of what God is up to. And each of these views should help us grow upwards toward God, whether we're, wherever we're starting from this morning. First of all, we can see that God grows us into his family. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read it in a moment, but it's on page 1174 if you want to use one of the Bibles in front of you. God grows us into his family. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 19. See, after this prayer that we've just prayed and a bit of explanation, Paul goes on to remind believers, the believers he was writing to, what they were. Their situation before God began his work of rescuing them was severe. They were so lost, it was as if they were dead. They were dead to God. And this language used in this letter is true of all of us before God begins his work of rescuing us. We might have our physical life, we might be walking around living, breathing, but we don't have a living relationship with God. We're separated from him, separated because we followed our own desires and thoughts rather than God. But the great news is that God doesn't leave us there. We would have no vision to go upwards toward God at all if it wasn't for Ephesians, for verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. So let's read from the beginning of this chapter, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, page 1174 in the church Bibles. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what I've just been saying. 
But listen to this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, we were nowhere, cut off, dead. But God, but God, because of his rich, great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And this is the beginning of our journey of growing upwards toward God. Much of what we'll think about this morning involves each other. Much of our growing is done together, corporately. But this must begin personally. We must each individually be made alive by God, who in his great love and mercy comes to us, even though we ran from him. Notice how God does this. He makes us alive, verse 5, with Christ. He raises us up, verse 6, with Christ. Christ, Jesus, is the way into God's family. God so unites us with Christ that our sin is punished with Christ on the cross, And our death is defeated with Christ in his resurrection. As Christ lives, so do those who God has united with him. Please don't miss this this morning. You might have grown up in a church-going family. That isn't enough. You might have been christened as a child. That isn't enough. You might have been baptized as an adult. That isn't enough. Unless we're made alive by God, unless he unites us, with Christ. We're as good as dead to him and lost in our rebellion and guilt. If this is news to you this morning, we want you to see that God takes the initiative in all this. He is the one who launches a cosmic rescue mission. He's the one who gives new life. He's the one who's rich in mercy and offers offers to forgive. He's shown great kindness to us and he would show it to you too. Just call out to him. But this wasn't the only separation that the churches Paul was addressing faced, though. These churches were in what was then called Asia Minor. I think today uh, we call it Turkey, or this area anyway. The point is, these people weren't Jewish people. Throughout history, God had been the God of the Jewish people as he committed himself to a special relationship with them, to rescue them, to protect them, and to prosper them. And these people in Asia Minor were outsiders, foreigners. This past week, many of of us would have seen quite distressing images on our screens or newspapers of refugees held outside Hungary's border with Serbia or kind of moving around Croatia now, isn't it? There are strong fences with rolls of razor wire, police guards, water cannons and tear gas. All of these combined to send a message to those refugees that they are outsiders. They don't belong. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not commenting on whether that's right or not. I'm just saying it's the message implied by this border security. You're an outsider. You don't belong. And this is similar to the starting place of people who are outside God's community, the community of God's people. Listen as Paul goes on to remind the Christians who he's writing to of what they once were. He used a word here, the word Gentiles, And this basically means not Jewish, outsiders. So carrying on in chapter 2, 
Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made, has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So God gives life to the spiritually dead and God is growing us into his family. There were two groups, God's special people, Israel, the Jewish people, and those who are not, the Gentiles, the outsiders. The Christians who Paul is writing to were outsiders, and most of us would be in that category too. In fact, whoever you are this morning, whatever your background, you're not too far away. You don't have to remain an outsider wherever you're coming from today. You see, they were not too far away. They were far away, These verses in the Bible say they were far away, but in Christ, God has brought near those who once were far away. In Christ, God has welcomed the foreigners. In Christ, God has removed the distinction. The barrier that defines us as outsiders is gone, destroyed. And all of this is through the cross, by the blood of Jesus, that is by the sacrificial death of Jesus. Did you notice here the emphasis on peace? Christ Jesus is our peace. Christ Jesus has made peace. Through his death on the cross, we're reconciled to God. To be reconciled is to have a friendly relationship restored. We might be reconciled to a friend or a family member after we've fallen out. We make peace. But God goes that little bit further. He doesn't just make terms of peace with us. He doesn't just refriend us on Facebook Take a look again at verse 18. This is astonishing. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. When God reconciles us, he reconciles us. He reconciles us so completely, so fully, that he adopts us into his family. He makes us his children. He becomes our father. Once we were dead in our sin, God has made us alive. Once we were outsiders, separated, foreigners, God welcomed us in and made us children, dearly loved children. God grows us into his family. Let's pause for a minute and uh, see how we're doing. Are we growing upwards toward God, our Father, Are we maturing as his children in his family? How can we know? How can we measure this? 
The New Testament letter of 1 John is pretty clear. If we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ's family, in God's family, then we don't truly know God. For God is a father who loves his children. Am I growing in my love for my brothers and sisters in church? And this has to include the part of God's family that we call Portswood Church, but it should also include the wider family of whom God has made us his children. Am I growing in my love for my brothers and sisters across the city and across the world? Am I growing in my love for my brothers and sisters in my Christian union at school or college or university or work? And how about our ministries corporately? Are we growing together as brothers and sisters in God's family? Are we growing together, maturing towards God's likeness as his children? Do we need to think differently about how we do things in, our minis- in the ministry areas in which we're involved? Growing upwards toward God, God grows us into his family. Let's continue in Ephesians chapter 2 and take a look at our second view of what God is up to. From this second angle, we can see that God grows us into his home. This is chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, still on page 1174. Verse 19, consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now the picture changes to that of a construction project. And it's not just any old building. Now this construction project is a special building, the most special building. I used to work in construction and been involved in building retail stores and uh, college buildings and military facilities, offices, residential complexes, but nothing like this. This is a special Building. This building that God is constructed, constructing rises to become a holy temple. Now most of us today probably think of a temple as some kind of religious building, maybe even an impress- impre- impressive religious building, the kind that kind of you know, oozes bling as you look at all the gold uh, features and, uh, and weird creatures. There was an impressive temple building in Ephesus actually, the town where, uh, where this letter is kind of referred to, addressed to. The temple of Artemis. Artemis was a Roman goddess. Uh, one, and this temple was, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, this is a, a model of the temple of Artemis. Uh, attempting to recreate what it might have looked like. So there you go. If you were in Ephesus reading this letter, you would think of this temple. But the temple that God is building completely exceeds any impressive buildings we might have seen. This temple is in a different league. For a start, it's not built with stone, but with people. But that's not the most important thing about the building that God is constructing. The most important thing, the thing that marks this temple out from any other, is clear in verse 22. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The point of a temple was not to exhibit the materials with which it's constructed. The point of the temple was to house the god or goddess in whose honor it's built. 
Now, Artemis was, was not really a god. She was uh, man-made. There's one true god, and he dwells outside of time and space and can't be contained to a building. And yet, throughout the Old Testament part of the Bible, God had a temple in varying sorts. And the key thing about this temple is that it was where God symbolized his presence among his people. Where God symbolized his presence, living, dwelling among his people. God is holy. God is described as an all-consuming fire. God is blazingly pure. And this presented a fundamental problem for people who wanted to worship God. People who were defiled by their sinful hearts and their thoughts and their actions. They could not enter into God's holy presence. Cue the temple. God's temple stood as a glaring reminder of God's holiness and his people's sin. The temple screamed, keep out. Keep out. Thick curtains kept people from entering God's presence. Animal sacrifices and various grain and drink offerings constantly had to be brought to this temple. Repeated reminders of sin. And if you've understood this background, then you had to think twice when you read those verses from Ephesians chapter 2. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, this is an astonishing thing that God has done. No longer separated by guards and steps and walls and curtains and offerings, God lives among his people. Holy God lives among his people. And this too is made possible by the death of Jesus on the cross. The gospel, the gospel accounts record the events uh, around Jesus' death. And they record how the curtain in the temple, this thick separation, this barrier between people and God. How the curtain was miraculously torn at the moment Jesus died. By this, God was indicating that the way into his presence was made open by the offering once for all of Jesus. So now God is building us into a dwelling in which he lives by his spirit. God grows us into his home. So let's pause again and see how we're doing. Are we growing upwards toward our holy God? Are we growing to become a dwelling place fit for the God who is an all-consuming fire? And maybe uh, this will present great challenge to us as we think about growth in holiness. Perhaps we don't talk about it so much, but it's a, a very challenging area, isn't it? And maybe some of us are just all too aware of our weakness and perhaps uh, past failures and things that we, yeah, we just regret in this area. And we need to remember that we're all work in progress. Remember, we're talking about a God, we're dealing with a God who's rich in grace who wants to forgive us, who wants to grow us into this. We need to remember that as we think about that question. But are we growing in our holiness? Are we growing into the kind of people who would be fit for God to live amongst? 
Are our gatherings like this one on Sundays helping us to grow in holiness together? Is the children group I serve in helping our children to grow in holiness together? Is our home group challenging us to holiness? If not, then how can we bring these ministries better in line with our vision and more importantly, God's vision for us as a church? God grows us into his home. Our third and final view for this morning is seen in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16. Uh, so just flick the page, uh, well you don't need to flick the page, just look on the next, next page. Uh, God grows us into his body, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And these verses are describing a vision of what we will become as we all together reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the, the thing that's just happened before. And Lou's going to pick up on this next week in our second part of the vision series But for now, let's see how briefly uh, verses 14 to 16 describe what God is growing us into. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we've seen that God is growing us into a family, into his family. We've seen that God is growing us into his home. And now from this third angle we can see that God is growing us into his body. Notice that I didn't, and this doesn't just say just a body, just any old body. Whose body is it? It's Christ's body. Understandably, some people might find this a bit confusing, uh, weird even. You may have already begun to imagine kind of freakish images of people sort of piled on top of each other and merging into uh, the form of a body with Christ on the head. That's not what's going on here. This isn't kind of meant to create freaky mental pictures. This is picture language, metaphor. It's it's not talking about us all melting into one blob, having the the physical appearance of one body. The the point is that we'll function as one body. I don't stop uh, often enough to think about how amazing my body is. And some of you are now thinking about my physique, and yeah, you must work out. That's not what I mean. How amazing all of our bodies are. I don't often stop uh, to think about that, how amazing our bodies are. Perhaps we tend to appreciate them most when a bit falls off or stops working uh, or is injured. Uh, I dislocated my kneecap a few years ago, wasn't able to, to walk for a bit. And I think it was only when I could really walk again, only in that period, that I began to really appreciate my knees. Knees are amazing, but we don't think about them. Just think of all the functions your body performs. Whether that's moving your limbs or digestion of your food, or distributing nutrients, thought processes, uh, ears that hear me now and convert words in sound waves into words that make some sort of sense to you. God is growing his people into a body. His vision is that we will function together so well, we will function together like parts of our physical bodies function together when we're at our best, that is. This body picture language is really important in the New Testament and used elsewhere, especially in 1 Corinthians and in in Romans, other letters. 
we've got time now just to note two key things about this body of Christ into which God is growing us. Firstly, notice that it grows in love. It grows in love. Our physical bodies work best when our limbs and our nerves and our muscles and brains work together, seeking to achieve the same thing. What do you do if you want to stand up and your brain says, yeah, that's a good idea, let's stand up, and it, it sends the signals to your legs, and your legs say, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do that, and, uh, and you stand up, but your ear disagrees, and your ear fails to give you, ba- I'm sorry if this is bad biology, I think it's right, your ear fails to give you the balance you need, and so you stand up and fall over again. Yeah, that's a, an example of our bodies not working as they should, and it's the same with the body of Christ that God is growing us into. This body grows and builds itself up in love. This body works best when all the different members of this body love each other and express that love for each other in how they strive to work together. They pursue unity. And this isn't always easy. In fact, it's very often hard and costly. But it's the way of growth. It's the way God desires us to grow into. It's also the way to get things done. To use our balance example, if the ear works in harmony with the rest of the body, then we can stand up and we can remain on our feet. There are hints of these verses of of something that Lou will cover next week, but each part, secondly notice, each part does its work. God isn't growing us into a wax model of a body. God isn't growing us into a shop mannequin. God is growing us into the body of Christ. And this is an active body at work, each part doing the work God has given it and gifted it to do. As we reflect on how we're doing as a church this morning, as we measure our corporate life against our vision, are we growing together into this body? Are we growing upwards toward God in this way? Are we functioning together as one? Are we a harmony of many parts? Or are we rather more like a a disappointing X-Factor group audition uh, where uh, just a collection of individual singers singing different things out of tune and out of time with each other? Maybe some of us need to think very personally about this question. And am I playing any, any part in this body? Or am I playing enough of a part? Or am I causing the body to limp along and making the other leg do more work? God grows us into his family. God grows us into his home. God grows us into his body. There's so much more we could say about all of these things, but we don't have time today. I just want to finish by asking us the question, what if I'm really struggling with this? How do I get going? How do I get started again in growing upwards toward God? You could do a lot worse than uh, looking again at that great song at the beginning of Ephesians and other parts like that in the Bible and just fill ourselves with the gospel of God, with the knowledge of what God has done for us, to keep reading and rereading of God's goodness and his mercy and his greatness, to rekindle that desire for God, to go back to what he's done for us in the gospel, go back to what he's done for us in the gospel and to ask him, Again, as Paul kept asking in Ephesians chapter 1, that God would give, him the, give these believers the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better. Uh, but for now, I'm going to hand over to Peter.